everybody. I'm uh, at my home office with one of my favorite people in the world, Brian Lanier. He's uh, at his home office, I believe, in Calgary. That's correct. Hello, everybody. Um, and uh, so, you know, the podcast is Business Can Be Better, and there's just so many different ways that business can be better. But today's topic uh, is something that I personally have been scared to even talk about until I was able to talk to Brian about it this week. Um, and it's something that I think a lot of us don't talk about. And because we don't talk about it, we're not moving it forward. So I'm so excited to talk with Brian today and learn from Brian today. And all of us uh, not only move forward as business owners, but as uh, people, because this has this can't, it's 2020, like it's insane that we're still talking about this. So I am really excited to, uh, to move things forward with Brian. I'm just gonna tell you a little bit about why I invited him. Um, my husband was just up here saying hi to him too. Uh, every time we talk about Brian, we tear up because we met Brian in a personal development seminar in, Cal in Calgary. And we were lucky enough to have him as a mentor. And uh, well, let me just say the best thing in my life is my marriage to Tim. And that would not be so if it were not for your mentorship. And uh, I, can't, I can't ever repay you for that or thank you enough for that. But there's, we've learned so much from you. Um, in fact, after the seminars were over, I begged Brian to coach me personally, but he just couldn't. And so I'm like excited to get coached today on, on the session. Um, so a little bit more about his background is he is the president of the Leader Circle, a Calgary, Canada-based leadership development consultancy. And along with his colleague, Dr. Thomas Thundiel, did I pr pronounce the first name right? Okay. Professor of Organizing organizational behavior at Central Michigan University. Brian has been at work designing transformative workshops for business owners on the subject of inclusion and diversity. So I'm gonna ask you later where we can find these or sign up for these, Brian, for sure. Um, but I just a little bit more here really quick. He's basically me times 100 million thousand more experience and higher profile clients. So his business clients have ranged in scope from small 50 person startup company flying drones to monitor wildlife migration in the Arctic to 5,000 to 10,000 plus employee companies like Earl's Restaurant and Shaw Cable. And prior to his 20 years of business consulting, Brian served as director of operations for KFC Canada and he was regional vice president with Starbucks Coffee Company. He's been a highly effective seminar leader for Landmark, Landmark Worldwide, uh, the world's largest personal development company, and he's a member of the Calgary Black Chambers Mentorship Group, which is a group of Black business professionals who mentor students. And good thing I wrote this down because I would never have been able to remember all of this. Brian and his spouse, Yvonne, are proud parents of a blended family and their pre-COVID home, he said they used to have Sunday dinners every week, that's so sad that you can't now, uh, is filled with seven family members, two grandkids, and their new puppy, Fletcher. So did I miss anything? Can you add anything? No, I got you? I got it. Awesome. So you wanted to start us off with some something special, didn't you? Yeah, Kelly Ray. well, thank you for that introduction. And uh, for your listeners, I just want to start off by jumping into the kind of work that we do. So even as I'm beginning to speak, when you first saw me on the screen, for those of you that can see me, I'm asserting that many of your listeners, if not all of them, have begun to form an opinion about me. You've begun to inform, uh, you've had some thoughts about my credibility or about what I'm going to say. Or those of you watching this on video, you're even subconsciously evaluating and assessing dozens of small things that are coming in, flooding into your brain. 
You're looking at uh, my hair color. You're judging how old must I be. You might be looking at some of the things in the background, like the framed uh, certificates on the wall or the, the crayon coloring by my three-year-old grandson. You're listening to my voice patterns, my diction. Subconsciously, you're already deciding whether or not you like this guy or whether or not you agree with this guy or whether or not you think you can trust this guy. So all of that is going on and all of that is going on without you deliberately or consciously even being aware of it. Now, colleagues of ours, of Tom and mine, uh, wrote a best-selling business book years ago, and I'm not here hawking the book, but I want you to know The Three Laws of Performance by Zafron and Logan. They came up with a distinction that we call you're already always listening. So the way that you are already always listening to whatever I'm going to say, you listen, you and I listen through a filter, but we don't consciously realize we're listening through a filter. And that filter is telling you whether you agree or disagree with something, whether you like something or don't like something, whether it's the truth or whether it's false. So I just wanted to take a few moments and give you that taste of the kind of approach that we take, because we're going to be talking about a subject that for some people, you know, can have a charge to it. Racism in business, what to do, what to say, and how everyone can win. And I'm inviting you to be aware of what can already always be there as you're listening. And so together we can have a conversation and we can open up and look at some things that perhaps we haven't considered before. Kelly Ray, thanks for allowing me the opportunity to just dive right in with that distinction already I was listening. Yeah, that's made a big impact on uh, Tim and I's lives. And even now I was thinking of the things I'm like, this doesn't apply to me. But then I was thinking of all the things and I'm like, but I know really good things. So I have really, like I told you earlier, I have not had this conversation. I've been criticized for not having this conversation. I've been called out for not going to protests. Um, and I have been quietly feeling guilt and donating money to Black Lives Matter and not having any clue what to do about this. Mm. But when we talked, even after I read your article, I was still scared, but then we talked and I got to know the kind of conversation that you wanted to have and the transformation that I think we can cause in the world together. I just couldn't wait to get on with you. So um, thank you for being that person. The only person that uh, I'm not scared to talk about this with. Mm. Absolutely. You're not alone. I, many of my uh, white friends and, and colleagues, and I don't even like how I said white friends, you know, either. making it a, a category. Yeah. Uh, many people that I do know have been uncomfortable in having this conversation about racism and about uh, inclusion and about what do I do. So what I'm intending is, and, and I do want to make the, the case that please don't have me be the designated expert on this subject, listeners, because of my race. I am one person with life experiences. I'm not here representing any group or any organization or any race or any, any nationality. I'm here to have a conversation about some approaches that we take in the context of business performance that we, we assert will make a difference for you, not only with this subject, but also with uh, the overall performance and business results with everyone in your organization. Okay. So we, we kind of usually start by asking our guests, why is this topic important right now? But I mean, that's kind of a, 
I think we all know. And I think you added a note here, you know, like more than ever, the world now needs inclusion, not division. So how I love how I love the the title you came up with at the end, because uh, that's exactly the way I've been feeling. It's like, I've read, I used, well, I used to read so much stuff online, but then I just stopped following it because I didn't want to hear it anymore. But it was like all the things that you shouldn't do as a white person. And I'm like, well, what? <laughs> that's wrong. This is wrong. You know, like, how can I support? So I would just, like I said, just quietly donate money and just feel guilty, but also not good. Like, I don't feel good about where I'm at right now. So I hope through this conversation I can learn and, and others listening can learn, like, what can we do? What should we do? What do you think we should do? What, what are you proposing? Yeah, well, I have three distinct conversations that I propose we, we uh, discuss today. One is, let's have a conversation about why even have a conversation about racism and diversity and inclusion and why it's important to business leaders, especially today. Okay, and then another intention that I have is, uh, you know, let's provide listeners with some direction about what they can do and what they can say, because I can hear from yourself, you know, what do I do? And then lastly, um, if we can take some time and look at what's an empowering context for how do I have my business and everybody in my business win? Okay. Okay. So um, first, if we can take the, there's a charge with racism. You know, um, for me, you read the uh, op-ed, the opinion editorial that was published in the Calgary Herald that I wrote on July 8th. And it was about how upset I was after George Floyd's tragic death and those eight minutes and 46 seconds. And, you know, it just evokes so much anger, anger for me and for a lot of people. I wrote that article and it seems like even though it was May 25th, it seems ages ago, given that you're your listeners are also listening from a business context. What I would offer is let's separate the racism conversation and the charge that goes with that from why should we even talk about diversity and inclusion? And there are two distinct challenges. Does that make sense? Yep. So if we look from a business context, because there's a lot of talk about diversity and my colleague Tom and I are all about, uh, we're focusing on inclusion. So first, why would people even want to be interested in a conversation that we're having about diversity. So when we say diversity here, what we're relating to is we're talking about the differences of ideas, the differences of thoughts. And what we mean by diversity is not exclusive to difference of race or difference of skin color or sexual preference. What we're imploring business leaders to look at is having their businesses be one of inclusion. And there have been many, many studies that show if you have an inclusion of diversity of thought, which includes people from different cultures, and when you have people that aren't underrepresented, if they don't feel that they aren't heard, if they don't feel that they're, uh, that they're not um, respected, they work harder. And there's lots of scientific, there are case studies out there to support that. So, so then when they do feel heard, when they do feel safe to share, they work harder. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And then also the knowledge base of the business is improved. It absolutely does. Because all those ideas hiding in people's head who don't feel safe to share. Absolutely. So as a business owner, what we're, what we're offering is if you can look out and if you're willing to be authentic with yourself, 
And you won't see everything as a business owner. You won't see everything as a business leader. But if you have a, a homogenous group of people that look the same, act the same, you're going to get the same type of, of ideas. Yeah. And the, it, it's not a big deal. It's like uh, the foundation of a house. If it has a small crack in it, it's not a big deal. But over time, if you don't have that small crack, it's just a few people don't feel heard. But the more you have people that don't feel heard or don't feel included, they're going to get it. They're going to get at you. They're going to either get out, they're going to get even, you know, or they're going to they're going to do something where you won't get the most out of them. Yeah, or do nothing, which means you get nothing out of them. Which means that you get nothing out of them. This is probably the most common, right? Like quietly suffering or quietly resenting or quietly just moving on to another job. Exactly. So in particular, in the Canadian business environment, I happen to be, I'm an American by birth and a Canadian by choice. So I'm a dual citizen. I've lived in both cultures and I love Canada. I love, you know, uh, I chose to live here. I love it. A lot of Canadian business people that I come in contact look south of the border and they say, hey, I'm glad it's not happening here. However, if that is there for your listeners, please be aware, again, we're emphasizing an inclusion of different thoughts, not necessarily race, so that the company can grow and company can flourish. Yeah, I've said that. (laughs) I was like, not in those exact words, but I remember saying, I'm sure glad I live in Canada. But, you know, not to insinuate that it's not happening here. uh, But I mean, what did you say less than 5% visible minorities in, in Canadian some cities are less than 1%. So a lot of people might not even listen to this or watch this. Well, I'm going to do my damnedest to make sure they do. But a lot of people won't because, you know, I, I mean, my business partner and I talked about this months ago because um, we became business partners half a year ago. And anyways, I just said, you know, Leopard just 12% visible my minority. Like, this sounds really bad, but we need a diversity hire. Mm-hmm. Like, And then he's like, but isn't that wrong to hire someone just because they're a visible minority is that I'm not saying that we're going to do that. But so this is one example that I thought I could bring up for you that I know is happening because I talk about that number because I know that number for certain cities. And, but that sounds so pathetic. I feel like it's like, do we, do we only, well, we can't legally, we can't hire someone just because they're a certain race or not. Right. So you just, how do you get more people to apply for the job? Well, I think it starts with ownership and leadership first. And it's got to be an authentic expression. So if a business owner or a business leader or somebody in HR is going out to get a token number of people just to check a box, that lacks integrity. That lacks a state of being whole and being complete. Totally. Your customers can see through that. The people that are being hired can see through that. You'll You'll have a disenfranchised employee. So I think where it starts is getting the hearts and minds of the business leaders that having a diverse, having diversity of thought, having diversity of different approaches. Again, that's why we're separating race from this conversation with diversity and inclusion. And what we're promoting that business owners look at is having their houses be one of inclusion and have that be first and foremost. And if you look at any of the studies right now, Inclusion of thought, I know I'm repeating myself a bit here. Inclusion of thought has companies, uh, their performance, their productivity, their innovation, their uh, profits, 
increase because you don't have the same, you know, OEO thought process. So you're saying in our hiring processes, when we're interviewing people or looking at people to hire people who have different ideas than us or who disagree than with us or come from different places than us or have different opinions than us? Well, it's a little bit more uh, in depth than, than just jumping to the how-to first. Okay. Um, and the approach that we take with our inclusion and diversity training has people first get that how you and I react, a lot of it is our brain, our brain's designed to operate consciously and subconsciously. And there are things that happen unconsciously with our brain automatically where we have associations. So there's a bias, if you will, an unconscious bias that in the hiring process, a lot of people um, have, which is one of affinity. So if I know you and you know me, or I know where, what school you went to and I like you, then I have an affinity to hire people that are like me. It's just going to be a natural association. Nothing wrong with that. But the more that people can start to understand some of the automaticity by which our brain functions, that's why I started off the way I started off with asking people to notice what was there as they heard my voice, as they looked at me, what was already always there. Because if you can start to be responsible for what's already always there as you're talking to someone, then you have the opportunity to put that aside and discover them newly. And if you can discover somebody newly, even in the hiring process, you may not be stopped as I had a client that was stopped, even as they went through the resumes, if they had a name that they could not say easily, or the name was not a quote unquote Canadian name, that resume went over to the do not call pile. Now, they felt horrible saying that, but they actually could see that it wasn't something that they were consciously doing. It was simply their brain and the associations and the way that they came up and they were working inside of a culture where you look to your left, you look to your right, and everybody looks a certain way. Nothing wrong with that. However, it's not the most productive, most effective, most innovative, most creative way for businesses, especially now, to be representative of their customer base, of the, of the way the world is changing. I've had that, that situation too. And when I you know, my thing is like, that's illegal. <laughs> like you can't put them in the do not call file. Um, but then I've, I've heard the, re the resistance uh, about, well, this person needs to do a lot of customer service. And if they have a really thick accent, you know, like to the, to, it seems like a practical, that's what people are thinking. And it's like, well, you can't tell that from a resume. But so then what if they interview them and they have a really thick accent and you can barely understand them? Like things like real things like this. This is what I wanted to put up in front of you today because I'm like, I deal with this all the time and I don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. I, I know I'm always going to be learning for the rest of my life, but as a, a leader of leaders who's coaching other people, it doesn't feel good to not know what to say about something so important. Yeah. I got that. And so we, we don't look for people that are like us because we know that that is not necessarily, uh, that's something I can attest to. Like we always are conscious of that. Our hiring processes, we're like, do not hire this person because you want to hang out with them. That's the wrong thing. We need someone who compliments us or like who has different skills than us. You know, it's not, we don't want you to hire your friends. It won't work. We don't need two of you. 
So I think I get that. I think I get hiring inclusively based on diversity of thought. But are you telling me then that we look at, we don't look at skin color at all during the hiring process? What about our already already listening? Like the things that are happening subconsciously, how do we stop that? Well, you won't ever stop what's happening with you subconsciously. Um, the first thing that we're offering is just to be aware of it. You can start to bring less significance to it. Okay. So if you can get that it's not personal, it wasn't that person, first of all, that had the courage in a uh, company training session to admit publicly that he was taking names he couldn't pronounce and he was putting them in the do not hire. It took courage. And you want to get that his employer has done a lot of work so that their environment was one where people can say what's authentically there for them to say in the context of integrity. So what, what we're coaching business leaders in is you want to have a solid foundation of having integrity. What's integrity as we distinguish it. And you know this, Kelly Ray, from the work we've done. I can't remember. Okay. It's not morality. It's not you're good if you have it or bad if you don't. What we mean by integrity is the state of being whole and complete. Right. So, and it's ultimately, it's honoring one's word as oneself. So when a business says, hey, we treat, you know, we're great with people. Come visit us. We're transparent. However, you have somebody in the organization. This one, no, I won't call. This one, yes, I will call. That is a matter uh, that is a lack of integrity. The actions of that employee is not consistent with who the company holds themselves out, out to be. Does that communicate? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it communicates to people who haven't been to Landmark, though. Yeah, right. You said some pretty powerful things that we might want to stop and say, because, like, the one thing I wanted to come back to, sure. and I, I'm sorry, I'll have to get you a couple points because there's just huge things that I want to make sure people get. When you said um, to create the awareness of it, to lower the significance of it. That was like huge for me. And I've been through some training with you. So I just wanted to make sure people heard that. So bringing awareness to our subconscious biases or are already always listening will decrease the significance of it. Like it's almost like we can let it go by identifying it. It starts with awareness. Okay. And it's like anything else that you're taking on newly to create a new habit. It takes practice. And then when you're working on it, it's not this big significant problem that's just looming because it's something you're aware of and you're working on developing a new habit. Exactly. Okay, what's next? Was there anything else that I said that was uh, that we need to unbundle there? Because I did. Oh yeah, what was the next thing? Uh, I think we really needed to just highlight the, the safe culture. And actually it was funny, I did a call at like four o'clock about this, about um, making jobs into careers and retaining key employees. And we were talking about how the culture needs to be not only um, safe physically, like they feel safe going out to their cars at night or um, like there's no like dangerous clientele that they might have to deal with, but like emotionally it needs to be safe for people to say what they think because if they're getting bullied or even like side eyes from somebody else, you know, they're not going to share anymore. And in a culture where people aren't sharing, they don't feel heard and we don't have, we don't have the sharing from all the different people. So the business suffers, the person suffers and they end up not staying usually. Well said. Yeah. And that goes back to why have uh, an environment where you have a diversity of thought, 
why have an environment where you have uh, an experience, uh, people have the experience of being included. And even if they put forth an idea and they have the experience that the idea is heard, it doesn't have to be accepted. But if they have the experience that their idea could be heard, that has people feel included. And when you have a workforce that feels that way, then uh, it, it outperforms others and employee engagement increases. Absolutely, I can see that totally. Yes. Yeah, and I think you said yesterday too, innovation increases. It does. There's yeah. nothing more important nowadays, right? Yeah. So then uh, I have a different set of notes here, so I wanna make sure we don't miss anything, but maybe I'll just wait till you're through your three points that you mentioned. Um, well, we can, we can, um, I wanted, the point I wanted to make was on diversity and inclusion distinct from racism and why that's important in business. And I think we've made that point. The other point that I want people to, um, consider with that is again, we can't underestimate how our mind automatically makes associations. And then sometimes we act on those. And some of the uh, listeners may have heard of what's called microaggressions. Have you heard that term? So a, a microaggression is something uh, that uh, displaces the experience of inclusion for somebody. It's a term used for brief and commonplace daily verbal or behavioral indignities, whether they're intentional or unintentional, that communicate hostile or derogatory or negative attitudes towards stigmatized or culturally marginalized groups. So like it's, yeah, it's quite literal. Yeah. yeah. So that was coined in the 70s by a Harvard University professor, Chester Pierce, to describe the insults and the, the dismissals, which he regularly saw with non-Black Americans uh, inflicting on African-Americans. OK, but now I'm, I'm asserting that that term, if any of your listeners have heard about microaggressions, is outdated. And there's a, a new book out right now by Janie, and it's called The Subtle Acts of Exclusion, Subtle Acts of Exclusion. And that book is written by Janie and uh, Michael Barron. They came up with a more productive term than microaggressions called subtle acts of inclusion. Okay. And there, there are subtle things that people say that they don't realize that they're saying them, but they leave the person that's hearing them with the experience of being excluded. So this can perpetrate, this can actually exp extend people's experience of, hey, I don't feel included. So let me give you, can I give you an example of what I mean by this? Yeah, my heart just broke a little though because I just remembered one of my managers telling me that one of my staff members didn't feel included. Yeah, now, usually the person speaking has no idea that whatever they said or however they behaved had somebody feel excluded. But here's what it actually looks like. And again, I, I'm asking your listeners to get, it's not something people do overtly. It's something that they're, they could be well-intentioned. So many years ago, when I was in the restaurant industry, I was director of operations in Alberta for a chain of restaurants that was originally out of Seattle, had been around for a long time. And it was bought by a large Japanese conglomerate. So the CEO that spoke no English, flew over to Canada, and I gave him a tour with his interpreter, his right-hand man, for two days of all of our, of our restaurants. He'd never been to that part of Canada before. At the end of this, this very 
in a business suit, Japanese gentleman, bows his head to me after I spent two days with him. And he said, you, he said in Japanese, a whole bunch of sentences and his interpreter said, he just said that you are the most intelligent man he's ever met. Now, I was 30 years old. I was taken aback. I nodded my head. I said, thank you very much, sir. It's been my honor. But I felt excluded because I, no one had ever told me I'm the most intelligent man they've ever met. What I think he meant was I'm the most intelligent black man that he'd ever met. Now, when he said that, and I heard that that way, again, that was in my listening. Remember, as we started off the call, he didn't say your most intelligent black man, but that's what I heard. The hearing of that brought back other associations, other memories from my past that are there in my brain. And then I felt excluded. Other examples of this uh, are uh, African-American woman that worked in a restaurant said, uh, you know, somebody said to her, hey, how come you sound white? Or the uh, Asian woman who was asked by uh, a coworker, hey, can you see as well as white people, you know, through your eyes? Or the guy from the Philippines that was asked, uh, so what are you anyway? Now, the speaker was not being malicious to the person they were speaking to. And it was simply an automatic thing firing in their head. Maybe they wanted to find out. Maybe they wanted to learn more about another culture. But it was a generalization that, that the speaker had held on to that left the person being spoken to with an experience of being excluded from the group. That's pretty scary. Like, Because how do you control other people's already always listening? Well, you don't, first of all. But if you actually take on diversity and inclusion training, and you do it in, with an organization, it allows for the straight type of sometimes uncomfortable conversations for groups of people to have and people that normally are underrepresented or may feel that they're excluded now have an opportunity to have somebody else see and hear how they felt then you can actually start through this kind of training and this kind of dialogue to talk about different actions businesses can take. How do you ally with somebody and support a group? Or how do you uh, ensure that people in a group meeting, their ideas are heard and acknowledged versus just moving on? What You talked about allyship a little bit yesterday, and you just said ally with someone. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so uh, if you happen to be someone who is committed to having a workforce and colleagues where everyone feels included, and you might not be actually through your physical attributes or whatever, the same part, you might not be black or you might not be LBGTQ, but you can actually take on standing for somebody and ensuring that they are heard what do I mean by that? Um, it happens with uh, women as well. My spouse, Yvonne, works in uh, oil and gas. And oftentimes she's the only female at the table. And she'll come up with an idea that'll come out of her mouth and no one will say a word about it. And then 10 minutes later, somebody else, a man, will say the same thing she said. And they'll say, oh yeah, John, you know, that's great. Now, Yvonne, as the woman in the room, feels excluded, feels not heard. 
But if you have the kind of diversity and inclusion training that we are talking about, you bring it into a culture, you can take on actions like echoing. What is echoing? So uh, women in one organization took on when a woman spoke up at the boardroom meeting, another woman would say the same thing that they said to make sure that the woman who spoke was echoed. Felt heard. Felt heard. And then through that practice, it interrupts the brain patterns of the other men around the table because they're not doing it consciously. And then, you know, lo and behold, you had more female representation. You had the more diverse ideas being heard being shared. And then over time, you had an experience, you had uh, an expansion of inclusion in that organization. And it was authentic. It wasn't let's go hire more women. It authentically evolved in the organization. Got it. Standing for someone of a different subgroup or, okay. And then the one thing that I had in my notes here that I really, really, really wanted to hear, it really excited me was making it something we don't have to talk to the next generation about. Oh yeah. I still can't believe we're talking about it today. I remember when I was in grade two and I learned about Canada being multicultural because I'm dual citizen too. I was born in Australia. So I, and I'm Canadian and Australian, but um, I remember learning about Canada being like very diverse and they were talking about it being like a cookie with a bunch of different colored M&Ms or something. And I had this idea in my head that by the time I was an adult, all the races would mix together and we would just be like one like really nice pretty light brown color that was like what i thought was going to happen and i remember as i started to grow up and learn that this is still like what it's 30 years later this is still happening this this is crazy to me it's yet i can say that all i want and if i don't take any action so that's what i was excited to learn i'm like what are we going to do what are we going to do so that we don't have to teach the next generation about this because Gosh, that would be amazing. Yeah, well, Kelly Ray, that you, what you're saying is gold. And, and you've got um, a, a big nugget for your listeners to take away too. Without taking action, nothing is going to change. Okay, that's, that's one thing. I remember literally where I was uh, in April of 1968. I was in Washington, D.C. the night Martin Luther King was assassinated. You know, and there was looting and burning and everything, you know, blocks away from my house. And I remember my parents standing for, this is enough, you know, this cannot happen. Now, we've, a lot of ground has happened, you know, since 1968 when I was a small boy. And we've got a lot more to go. My view is by the action that, and it only takes a small group of people to keep staying in action and having uncomfortable conversations and having conversations that might even be clunky. You know, maybe half of the things we've said, I've said on the call, people don't go, you know, like, what is he talking about? But even if it opens up, you rethinking something that you may have previously taken for granted. Or maybe if it opens up you having a dialogue or reading a book that you didn't read, wouldn't necessarily read or watching a documentary that you wouldn't necessarily watch, then it is possible in our generation, your generation, definitely you know, to have these kinds of conversations be no more as a possibility. And then we take action. Yeah, I would love to not have to explain this to my nieces and nephew. Yeah, and it's really uncomfortable for me too. Like I said, like, I'm supposed to know what to say. <laughs> and this is my podcast, you know, like people are listening because business can be better. But I, uh, I fully um, realize that I am a, 
a very new student in this area because I've just been avoiding it because it's so uncomfortable and I don't know what to say or do and I don't want to say the wrong thing and offend people or say the yeah and I don't want to get in a fight with people but I guess sometimes action will lead to conflict does it have to well if I can back up to one of the first things I heard you say yeah. and, and I, I acknowledge you you have the current you're putting this out on podcasts that's you know I haven't been uh, as brave and courageous to initiate putting these views out on pot. You, your invitation, that's an action you're taking. That's bold, okay? For myself, my wake-up call was after George Floyd, and I, you know, it's mad as hell. I was not going to take it anymore, as I said in my article. And I stayed up for 18 hours writing that article. I was so mad. I sent it to every newspaper in North America, every major newspaper in North America. I didn't know where I was going to go with it, but somebody heard me and published it. And that was a step, that was a blow for freedom for me. And then you read it and you've got me here. And now maybe even there, if there's one person that is listening to this podcast and takes a new action, that's a victory. So silence, people can do anything that they want. However, for myself, when I stay silent on something that's important to me, there's a diminution of myself. I'm smaller. And this is an opportunity for people to be bigger. Yeah, this very much fights with my lack of uh, love for conflict. I, uh, I don't know. I wrote a, an, an, uh, an article uh, and I did a post, a video, when uh, right after George Floyd's death, I think. Um, I didn't watch it. Tim described it to me and I started crying. And I'm like, I can't. Don't show that to me. Like, I don't. I'll throw up. Like, why are you even watching that? And uh, I people were having uh, protests in this, in every city. And I wasn't going because like, I couldn't even imagine how painful that would be to sit there and listen to that or to have somebody hate me just because I'm white and I'm there or like, am I doing the wrong thing or whatever? And so I would just make donations. And then one day I wrote an article because I felt I had been called out enough times that I had to defend myself. And I basically said, I'm not at the protest, but I'm here doing the best work that I can do with the clients that I have and they're influencing their people and I'm making money that I donate and I'm making money so that I can take time off so I can volunteer and I'm teaching those kids to be inclusive and I'm like I'm making the biggest difference that I know how to make like I don't want to go to a protest uh -huh. do you think we have to not at all yeah if, if I may come back to how we began the call with there's an already always listening we listen through a filter, but we don't realize it. I would offer, you may have it that there's something you quote unquote have to do or should do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So if you can actually get that, it's not the truth that you have to go to a protest. It's not the truth that a donation is bad. If you can start to bring down the volume of that little voice in your head of what you and I say to ourselves about what we should do or what we shouldn't do, or what's good or bad, Find a way of expressing ourselves that's authentic for us, for you, Kelly, Ray, for me. Allow people the freedom. They don't have to agree. Give people the space that they can say whatever they say and hold, hold true to yourself about what you're committed to. I think that's the biggest problem I've seen is that people don't get that we can have different opinions and not fight each other. Mm. 
I have one friend who's quite opinionated and I have said to him on a number of occasions, I get that. And this is how I feel. And he's like, yeah, I get that. But other than that, there's really two friends, also Tim, my husband, but it's not a normal interaction where someone can disagree and say, well, what, you know, you see people on Facebook constantly fighting with each other. People all over the world are fighting with each other because they're not actually listening to the other side or accepting that somebody has a different way of doing things or just forcing their, their opinion on other people. And okay. We got the business. We got the business inclusion of diverse ideas. We got that. Yeah. The, second, the second point, do you want to sum the second point up? Well, it's one of um, uh, racism and business. There's a charge around that for most people. And what we would offer is um, it's not distinct from the same approach of just getting that. Our view is that if you have a view that one race is superior or inferior to another, then that's what racism is. And I don't think any of your listeners are overtly intending to take racist actions. I don't think they are. You know, nobody woke up this morning saying, I'm going to go after that person for that. Sure. Yeah. So again, if you can just be aware of that you will have associations that have been built up over an entire lifetime that your brain will automatically think a certain group operates a certain way and it's okay to have those thoughts just see if you can practice catching yourself not acting on that thought and all of this comes down to and i know um it does come down to practice there is no silver bullet to this whole conversation it's been being grappled with and dealt with by people much wiser, smarter than I. And again, as I said at the top of the call, I'm not here representing any entire race. I'm one person with a point of view and some life experiences. And what I want to leave your uh, listeners with is for them to start to or continue to be responsible for the automatic way in which they listen and see if they can tone that down and be with another person, another human being and have a conversation where they're authentically listening to what's being said and then act on what they're committed to and do it over time. And I think one action that I heard you talk about allyship is a really big one too. Mm -hmm. Like when you see something or, or hear something or notice something, taking a stand for that person. Yes. That would be huge. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about mentorship? I remember there was a point yesterday, mentorship usually falls on demographic lines. Yeah, that's a great point, Kelly Ray. That is um, going back to people that are underrepresented, whether they be uh, ethnically or sexual per, uh, persuasion or whatever. Whoever is, um, some people say marginalized groups, uh, people of color often fall into this inside of business organizations. Oftentimes they're underrepresented at having access to people resources. They don't have an affinity or a same demographic as somebody else that can take them under the wing. Most of the time mentorship is I'm like you and I see something, a younger version of me, so I'm gonna have you be my mentee. Mentorship doesn't have to be based on demographic lines or based on ethnic lines. That's how mentorship usually happens. I always tell people, go find somebody you want to be like and ask them to mentor you. Great. Awesome. Hence my asking you to coach me 1,700 times. 
So you're just saying look specifically for diverse mentors? Yeah, again, if the, if the leadership of the organization is committed to a diversity of thought, a diversity of ideas, yeah, okay, yeah. then you don't want to have all like-minded people necessarily going to like-minded people. Well, what's the point in that anyways? There's no growth. Very good. Yes. Oftentimes people don't even look at this though. So uh, there was a, there is a, a course I took on mentorship and it was done by uh, a woman who's done a lot of work with mentees uh, in large organizations. And she had somebody that had been in their position for 30 years and he deliberately went and mentored somebody that was uh, 18 years old in the, um, in the manufacturing dock area came from a different demographic than he did completely. You know, so this guy's an executive level and goes down like four or five layers and picks a guy, 18 or 20 year old guy from the stock room. What he discovered, the mentee taught the mentor as much as the mentor taught the mentee because the mentee showed him that the same programs that he had invented 30 years ago when he was in the, in the warehouse were still being used, but he got to see how antiquated they are. So the mentee, this 18, 20 year old kid was able to teach the mentor new ways in the company group. Diversity of thought, don't base it on demographic lines. That's right. the key, okay. And then the other point, I think I just wanna drive it home with this summary that you, these are your words. Um, the economic value grows when people are safe and acknowledged and encouraged to share their ideas. And um, we talked about having a safe culture, but you said the economic value of higher performance happens in places where people are included. Economic value improves where diversity, innovation, and creativity happen. And uh, I'm pretty sure that everyone can think of examples. Like so many ideas are coming to mind right now, but in their business, they had just had someone who thinks differently, who had different ideas. Mm -hmm. um, and the last point that I think that we may have missed, or maybe I just, you said it differently. It's not about doing something. It's about creating structures where a disenfranchisement doesn't happen. It's not like it's not about doing something about the past. It's about creating structures to prevent it going forward. Or what was that about? You want to create. I hope a lot of business leaders and business owners that are listening to this are willing to consider that they don't have all the answers. Oh yeah, they definitely. We all need to know that. Okay. Yeah. And, and your access to, uh, uh, Tom was telling me earlier today that uh, a CEO that he worked with years ago said a CEO's job, you've got to be in two paradigms. You know, one, you've got to be taking care of today's business, but you also have to be thinking about a paradigm of the future. Absolutely. So business leaders out there, you want to be looking at creating an environment where your entire organization is continually learning and growing. You don't have to, but if you don't, you won't be here tomorrow. And I mean tomorrow, not literally tomorrow, but I mean tomorrow in the future. So your economic value, you can look at studies. There are many studies out there. The more diversity of thought, the more diversity you have with culture, and the, the, it, it impacts the economic value, profitability, innovation, creativity, performance, all of that grows with diversity of thought. We're gonna share this. We're gonna share the heck out of this. And I'm gonna ask everyone I know to share this. 
because I, I think you, for me anyways, you took something that for year, literally 30 years has been a very uncomfortable thing for me and a guilt thing. And a like, it makes me sick sort of thing, but I don't know what to do about it. So I keep my mouth shut and do the, you know, whatever I think can make a difference out of guilt. I think it's what I was doing it enough to be honest, but you took that and you turned it into this proactive, let's make our businesses better by building inclusive structures. Like it totally diffused it for me and totally made me feel like I know what to do. At least I do know what to do. I have several things from today. I know now that I can do. And I also don't feel like shit anymore. (laughs) That's great. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you. Yeah, it was really, really nice to talk to you. And uh, I I really appreciate your time. And I really appreciate the impact you've had for us and the impact you're having out there in the world. And I hope that we can, a lot of people can listen to this and share this and add their thoughts too. And we can keep the conversation going. And thank you for helping me have the courage to have the conversation. Absolutely. You took the big action. And people can uh, reach me on LinkedIn at, at Brian Lanier if they uh, have any more um, that they want to ask me. Okay. Perfect. That's so that's so generous of you. Okay, awesome. And the last name is L-A-N-I-E-R. Perfect. Awesome. And the first name is B-R-I-A-N. So Brian Lanier on LinkedIn. Yes. Or leaderscircle.com. Okay. okay. Awesome. Awesome. Have a great night, Brian. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Okay. Bye. Bye.